This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So the story from last week was certainly the kind of story that got a lot of attention. It's one of those stories that at some level is is really encouraging in terms of the scientific potential, but it it also comes across as a little bit creepy, which suggests that there's a a lot of ethical gray area uh, around this kind of research. Here's the New York Times description. In a study that raises profound questions about the line between life and death, researchers have restored some cellular activity to brains removed from slaughtered pigs. Now, the brains did not regain anything resembling consciousness, which is an important point here. There were no signs indicating coordinated electrical signaling necessary for higher functions like awareness and intelligence. But in an experimental treatment, blood vessels in the pig's brains began functioning, flowing with a blood substitute, and certain brain cells regained metabolic activity, even responding to drugs. When the researchers tested sliced, uh, slices of treated brain tissue, they discovered electrical activity in some neurons. Now, the work is very preliminary and has no immediate implications for the treatment of brain injuries in humans. But the idea that parts of the brain may be recoverable after death, as conventionally defined, contradicts everything medical science believes about the organ and poses some metaphysical riddles. It's an interesting way of putting it. So there is a lot of potential to this kind of research, but it does raise some troubling questions, doesn't it? Could you bring a brain back to, to consciousness? How do we define that? If a brain is existing outside of a body, is it ethical to even get close to that sort of thing? Well, joining us for some thoughts on all this, very pleased to welcome to the program, Dr. Arthur Kaplan, bioethicist, professor, NYU School of Medicine. Arthur, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. Uh, so let's start with what's encouraging or potentially exciting about this, this kind of research. Where, where does this potentially get us? Well, the dogma was that once brain cells had stopped functioning, when death came, you couldn't get anything to happen. So this experiment overturns that. That's interesting because maybe it means that if you had a stroke, blood didn't get to certain parts of your brain and the cells died, maybe in the long run we could figure out some way to turn that part of the brain back on, turn that circuit back on. And I think that's really the point of this research. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can have some benefits as well. I mean, I guess one, one aspect that I read about was the potential for preserving certain organs. If you can keep the brain kind of functioning, does, does that give more of a window then perhaps uh, to save some of the other organs that might be available for donation? Yeah, potentially you might be able to prolong brain function past when the heart stops beating. On the other hand, you know, the tricks that they use to do this, they use some pretty artificial, <clears throat> excuse me, b- blood substitutes. They used a lot of weird electrical stimulation. Right. I'm not saying you can't get that into a brain in a hospital, but it would be pretty hard. It was much easier to do it in an isolated brain, if you will, in a lab bench. Mm-hmm. 
So when it comes, though, to our definition of, of death or our understanding of death, is it overstating it to say that this research challenges those notions or, or the lines blurred a little bit here? I think it overstates it. You know, people have said, well, my goodness, if, you know, you can restore some function back to the pig brain, maybe you could do it in a human brain, and maybe, therefore, when our brains stop working, maybe we're not really dead. Remember, all that was done was we got some random electrical activity firing it up. It did respond, if you will, to putting drugs into the blood substitute, but that just means it tuned up or tuned down. It wasn't as if there was any type of uh, real function restored. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry, and I don't think, even though some commentators have said, whoa, we better rethink the whole idea of brain death. Mm, I would say no. I don't think this demonstration does that. You know, Rob, we can do the same thing with a heart. We can put it in a isolated suspension in a lab, just to, uh, take it out from an animal that we've killed, and you can get the heart to beat. It doesn't mean somehow that, therefore, the animal wasn't dead when we took its heart out. I don't think these pigs were, these pigs were quite dead when they were decapitated to get their brains out. Mm-hmm. Well, but would it, would it even be ethical to, to do this kind of research on a human brain? Not yet. You clearly uh, don't know what you're turning on, what sort of impact it might have on that brain. Again, I'm not too worried that we're going to somehow regain consciousness, but I think you want to make sure you understand uh, what it is that you're doing with lots and lots of animal studies before you jump up to the human level. Part of it is PR. You know, you don't want to scare people and say, hey, brain in a vat. Remember that science fiction movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably be crawling down your street tonight. I don't think we're ever going to get that, ever. But on the safety side and for public relations, I think this is animal work for now. Well, yeah, and I, I suppose, that, as you say, there's a big, big difference between what was done in this study and what we would consider consciousness. But is it a pretty clear line? I mean, in the future, are researchers going to know if they are getting close to that line so they, so they don't go past it, if that's even possible? Mm. You know, I think they will. I think they'll understand the circuits. We already know, for example, that consciousness lives in the outer part of the brain, you know, the, the, uh, what we call the cortex and sort of the thermostat of the brain that runs all the automatic things, or breathing, or digestion, or sweating, that's in the inner part of the brain. And we can divvy up a little bit more some of the circuits that run different things, too. So we don't have a great knowledge, but it's starting to get there. If you don't have any activity in the outer cortex of the brain, you're not going to have any chance at consciousness. And it's going to be organized by circuits. It can't just be cells firing away randomly. Right, so the idea of a brain existing outside of a, a skull, outside of a body, somehow having pretty, consciousness, pretty, pretty far-fetched. <laughs> right. I would say the same thing I say about this guy who's running around saying he wants to transplant heads. Remember him? Oh, that guy, yeah, he's still Can around, isn't he? Yep. Again, I, I think we don't know how to turn on all the circuits so that they would function normally. You might get some brain activity, but you'd probably have uh, nothing resembling consciousness, just random nerve firings uh, taking place in this brain. So both for a head transplant and a brain in a vat, mm, I'd give it a good 40, 50 years before we could even interpret what we were looking at. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, you know, obviously for those who are in neuroscience, I mean, it, it, it's still an exciting field. If nothing else, I mean, this illustrates just how incredible brains are, even, right. even big and brains. Do, and it, it illustrates, too, that if you put them in the right, I'm going to say, artificial environments, you can get something to happen, which we didn't really know. So, again, 
for me, it's not so much is, uh, uh, you know, is Rob going to be around uh, in a vat in a hundred years just as his brain? Um, It's more if I had a stroke and I suffered, you know, 5% damage because the blood was cut off to a part of my brain, is there anything I could do to get that circuit back on? Because I don't need consciousness. I just may need it to drive my breathing. Right. Yeah, and the potential that, that we can zero in on that and, and maybe reactivate certain parts of the brain, that, that is pretty exciting. And that's what that model starts to tell us about. Again, yeah. you can do things when it's sitting in a lab bench setup that you couldn't really get done in a human body. So we're going to have to figure out how to duplicate that. But the first baby step is this experiment. Very interesting. Well, appreciate the insight. Uh, as always, hey, Dr. Kaplan, pleasure. thanks so much for joining us here today. All right. Arthur Kaplan, a bioethicist professor at NY School, uh, NYU School of Medicine. His thoughts on what this does and doesn't signify about our understanding of the brain or even what's possible with brains after death. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.